Free Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 152, AOP Flying, Norman, Oklahoma, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to a special edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Our reporter in the field, Russ Wisleski, was in Norman, Oklahoma for the AOPA Fly-In. You know, AOPA Fly-Ins are all around the country, and they bring many people together in this aviation community. You know, this event that he actually went to broke all attendance records for their fly-ins. They had over 7,500 people and including, they had 500 airplanes. Amazing. Uh, the AOPA fly-ins are, you know, they're an awesome place to learn, share your passion for aviation, and help advocate for a general aviation and our community. And I think they're, it's a wonderful thing what they're doing with these fly-ins. And obviously, it's really, really taking off. Um, but before we get started, a quick uh, comment about our sponsor. Our sponsor of this uh, episode is Aviation Careers Podcast. We do episodes about uh, careers in aviation, about uh, different types of jobs, but also answer emails, career coaching. We also have the largest online directory of verified scholarships in aviation and that have to do with aerospace careers in general. It's a pretty cool guy and it's a really helpful to a lot of people. Also another uh, announcement before we get started, we've kind of we've really postponed our meetups uh, at, until after we clean up after Hurricane Irma. We're recording this right now as Irma is passing through Lakeland uh, and that's where we've moved. I'm obviously not in Lakeland right now. I'm at work and we'll talk a little bit about that later. I got stuck in Puerto Rico. And uh, there's a little bit of damage here, you can see it, but uh, we're not going to actually do some meetups and start all that up again until we are able to clear out, though. Uh, but anyway, to learn more about some of the meetups we're going to do, and some of our other co-hosts are going to sponsor some also, you can go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash stuckmikeavcast. Well, Russ, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's you and I this evening because uh, we've had to do this impromptu podcast, but it's awesome that you were able to get some of those interviews. So wel- welcome this evening. It is, Carl. Thanks, thanks, and I'm glad we were able to get together. And you know, it wasn't exactly how we had planned, but I guess uh, Irma changed those plans a little bit. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, I, you know, you're an airline pilot. What exactly do airlines do in a hurricane? I mean, I have no idea. Do they try to fly all the airplanes away? You said you're in Puerto Rico. Was that part of the evacuation, or what? what how do they handle this? You know, it's interesting. It's fairly dynamic, and there's a lot of pieces to this as to what the airlines do. It's somewhat similar to what some of the large flight schools do. You know, when the storm's coming, they say, okay, let's get our airplanes away from the storm until it passes through, and then we'll bring them back in. Uh, Similar to a big flight school, they have all their operations, they have scheduled flights, and they have people that have been scheduled for lessons. And similar with the airlines, they have people scheduled for flights, and they've had to cancel some of their flights. But but what they specifically do, there's two parts of this equation. There's number one, trying to get as many passengers uh, away from the storms and also getting the airplanes away from the storms. So you have to actually coordinate that so you've evacuated the aircraft and the people well ahead of the storm. And, and that's exactly what our airline did and many other airlines. As a matter of fact, before the storm, I, uh, gosh, I got to fly a lot of people up north. And, and this is what's really cool about this, if there's a really good side to this whole hurricane thing, is the fact that on the airplane I had so many people that had never flown on an airplane before and said they never would fly in an airplane. But they figured it was much safer to get on an airplane that they'd been afraid of all their lives because they're going to be able to leave this area that's, that's hurricane-prone or actually is about to have a hurricane. And what was really, really cool is after we landed, 
Uh, the people were so happy when we landed up north away from the hurricane. And they were coming up saying, oh, that really wasn't that bad. You know, the landing was great. It wasn't what I thought it would be. Because a lot of these folks have heard so many different things. The flight attendants were wonderful. They said you know, there was so many people back there who knew nothing about flying. And this, the one flight attendant came up to me and said, you know, basically what I tell them, you know, they're afraid because, you know, it's just like being on a boat. They think, oh, my God, it's going to flip upside down and that type of thing. And they say, hey, look outside. There's not that many people around us. They're also afraid of all the other airplanes in the sky. We're out in this big, big sky. And, you know, it's just like on a boat. If it tips one way, it tips back up again. It doesn't take that long for it to go back to its normal position. Luckily, we had, you know, nice smooth air for the most part. Uh, getting back out of the storm. A little gusty winds uh, when we were leaving, and this is well in advance of the storm. But I thought that was really exciting to see the fact that now we have some new people that really want to go fly as passengers and, and maybe in the future as pilots because a lot of people are coming up to visit the cockpit. And I know that's how a lot of us really do get involved in aviation. But getting back to what the actual airlines do, and they, they start this emergency mode. And they ask people to help them move airplanes away from the storm. They also like to include it in their normal operations. For instance, say they have an airplane going from Florida up to, say, Boston. And that airplane now is going to become an evacuation. In other words, it's not going to go back down south. They'll leave the plane in Boston. Well, a big part of this whole thing is you can't just park a bunch of airplanes at an airport and not have an impact on that airport. So what they need to do is coordinate the parking situation. And one of the places that recently actually tore down an old terminal was uh, actually in Hartford, Connecticut. And there was quite a few airplanes from different airlines there and, and all over, not just there, but there's a lot of real estate at these airplane at these airports. So what they'll do is park the planes immediately when the when the everything's gone and it's safe to operate again. They get those airplanes back down south and start operating. The problem with it is now you have all these crew and their families that have been evacuated. I talked about a second part to this. That second part is the airline moving employees. This is pretty interesting. I've been through a lot of disasters, a lot of hurricanes working for the airlines. And in some instances, there's been flooding at airplane airports. I remember back in, uh, during, uh, what was it, Katrina? They had a large, um, what do you call it? I, I think it was like a MD-11 or something like that, or DC-10, parked at the airport so flight crews could actually sleep in that airplane. And wow. as the flood was raised, they couldn't get back to their homes. They allowed them to just crash on the airplane or sleep on the airplane. And one of the things that's interesting is we do a couple different types of flights for passengers and people. We do added segments, they call them, and those are unadvertised flights. But those are flights that we add so we can help people get out and people have had their flights canceled, etc. The way we are able to fly those is asking people to come in and volunteer on their days off to fly up north. And, uh, and then they go, there, or wherever the storm may be, fly them away from the storm. And then again, after the storm's over, they ask for volunteers to move them back. And these, again, are not advertised flights. Uh, I, oh, another interesting thing that uh, we've done and this was during Katrina, we actually, the last airline I flew for, we did a rescue, a pet rescue, and we had basically a whole airplane full of pets, moving them away from uh, New Orleans. And uh, I think we brought them to the Houston area, I think is where we brought them. So there's a lot into this whole whole uh, episode. I know my airline and most uh, got rid of the, the maximum number of, of pets on board an aircraft to allow people to evacuate with their pets during the storm. There's all these little little things that happen. There's all these little stories and you're going to start hearing about them in the news of people who've gone above and beyond just to help out customers and get them out of there and get away from uh, harm's way. Uh, another thing that you have to realize too is that pilots, you know, for the airlines also have families and I'm a good example. I started a three-day trip that's about to turn into five days. Uh, I got stuck here in Puerto Rico because as I was flying here, they started canceling all the rest of the flights back to Florida, and that's where I'm headed to finish my trip. So I'm actually stuck in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I know people have been watching the news and that Puerto Rico got hit pretty hard, but I'm in the resort area, and that area mainly has their, you know, they have really good power generation and water, etc. So most people, when they evacuate, they come to this area. So I'm in a really good spot. 
So people are like telling me to stay safe and I'm sitting here eating mafungo and having a wonderful time on the beach. So don't, <laughs> don't, yeah, I hate, I am not telling my wife that by the way, I'm hoping I like, I keep saying, and that's the other thing too. You feel so guilty because here my wife is about the eyes about to go right near Lakeland, Florida. And I'm sitting here talking to you and, and you feel very helpless. And that's one of the downsides to the job is sitting here on the news, watching it hit your house. And, uh, you know, I posted a video that my wife took on on Facebook of the the wind starting to whip through and the the eyes not there yet. But one of the things that I think is really neat is not just our airline but all the airlines kind of get together and help each other out during these instances and the, any type of disaster and try to help people move uh, away from the storm. Uh, but it is kind of it's kind of scary though. Uh, you realize that uh, you really got got to help. You have to help those people move away. And there's so many organizations, we'll talk a little bit about that later, uh, that actually help people move away from these storms and, and help out with some of these operations uh, in the general aviation community. And uh, you know, I always like to say that there isn't much that separates us from the general aviation community and the airline community. Uh, we just we do it as a profession and all, but it's all the same. All Everything is, is the same. It's the same air. It's a little bit different airplane, but the same things affect us that affect the general aviation community. The winds, etc., might be a little bit higher winds that affect us, but it's 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 all a similar type of community. We 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 study the same weather that we do in GA, and we do the same approaches we do in general aviation. And uh, well, Carl, tell tell us a little bit about that about the weather because I'm picturing. You know, hurricane evacuation, you know, Hollywood version here, right? <laughs> so so you're you're dodging the lightning storms as you're taking off in your airplane and, and going around and probably through the eye of the storm and whatever. Right, so right. Yeah, well, yeah. But that's, but obviously that's that's, that's not really the case. <laughs> no, not not normally. Uh, I will say one thing, we do plan around all these storms and we look at them because if you notice at the the eye and you'll notice the storm there's certain sections of that 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 may not have as many uh, in especially in the bands that may not have as much weather so when we're planning we plan to go well around them as a matter of fact i'm glad you brought this up on our way down here uh you know there's two hurricanes right now people don't realize there's another one jose that's actually sitting just north of where i am right now and we actually flew right between the two now that sounds dramatic right but in reality, it's the one part of the storm, the bands, were 200 miles to the west of me. On the other storm, they're about two, 300 miles to the east of me. So there's a lot of space between those storms. It doesn't, on a very large map, it looks like we're, we're splitting the needle, but we really aren't. They're very far away. As far as flying around and over the storms, actually, many times we can fly over many portions uh, of the hurricane, but when you're doing that, you have to make sure you have an out. So you want to fly on the side that doesn't have quite as many thunderstorms, etc. But that's hard to find. So most of the time, we just go around them. And the other thing that's important, especially when you're flying IFR, you know, all those of uh, those that have their instrument ticket, we have to make sure we have good alternates. And especially if you're flying over the water, you have to have good alternates. And we've had to cancel a lot of flights because the Caribbean was hit so hard that we didn't have adequate alternates. The airports were shut down, so you can't use that as an alternate. Or maybe they were working, but they had no power. You could still land there, but their ILS was out of service, and maybe they didn't have a GPS approach or something. So you have to really start looking at all those things. And um, it really isn't as dramatic as you think. I, I know you've probably flown in some bad weather uh, in the storms. When you're up there, it's straight-line winds. Once you get off the ground, it's not really that bad. What you'll see is, uh, you know, you'll have howling winds, or maybe a little bit of crosswind. But if it's right down the runway, it's it's really not that bad. Uh, so there's a little sensationalism I know going on in the internet about, oh my gosh, you know, they're flying into the storm and stuff like that. But if you look at their actual track, you see that maybe they're flying around a portion of the storm that really quite isn't isn't quite as bumpy, etc. You know, it's it's not quite as bad as you as you think. But yeah, it's. There's a lot of planning done, uh, not just in hurricanes, and there's hurricanes all over. As a matter of fact, this week, I've flown through three areas of hurricanes. I flew through one was Katia that actually was in the Gulf of Mexico that formed near Mexico City. I was in Mexico City, and we flew through that. That was bumpy, that was, and we decided we're going way around that one. And and the same thing with all these storms. You don't you don't want to mess with them. And, and and no, we don't plan to go directly through any of these type of storms. And I know on the charts it looks like we're doing that, but uh, for the most part, 
we don't. In between bands, though, um, there is a lot of space that it doesn't look like it's much on a big map, but on a, a smaller map, there can be a lot of room to be able to move planes in and out. But the worst time to do it is, is wait till the last minute because uh, you don't want to get stuck somewhere, especially if you have like a mechanical problem and you have any, need a few hours to fix it. And it's just like in your 172. You know, you want to get that thing out of there as quick as possible. Um, I don't know. I don't think they have those big evacuations in the Midwest. Your storms kind of come up pretty quickly, don't they? You don't have uh, quite the, the big... The lines come through, but they happen and they go away, not quite like the hurricanes. Right. There's usually not quite as much notice as no, for the hurricanes. Yeah, no, yeah tornadoes no. don't give you several days of notice. Definitely not. No, no, that's for sure. But it's fascinating, though, listening to Eric Crump, who obviously couldn't be on tonight, talk about you know what happened there with his flight school. Uh, you know, they have a contractor that runs that and evacuating aircraft. It happened overnight. And you got to remember, the contractor said, hey, listen, we got to protect our, our assets and our airplane. Uh, so we got to get these things out of here. And I, I quite understand that. Um, a lot of folks think that their airplane's safe in their hangar, and that's totally wrong. And I guess Victoria could talk about that, too, with insurance. You know, it, it's like anything else. A hangar can blow down. And I remember in some of the storms people saying, oh, you know, I should have probably flown my plane out instead of left it here because now that the hangar walls have come down, uh, it's actually destroyed most of my airplanes. Some have even been totaled. Uh, so these are these are things that you don't want to mess with. As a matter of fact, another part of this story that's kind of interesting is uh, this is a, another in, good time for flight instructors to build hours because uh, you can easily get uh, ferry flights if you want to do them. And that's another thing in our in our airline world in trying to get back operations back to normal. Uh, one of the cool things is they'll offer those flights, uh, ferry flights at you know time and a half, double time, uh, to get things back and running again. Because now we have all these airplanes everywhere else we got to get them back. So what they do is they set up flights for employees that have evacuated and extra flights to come on back. And they ask people to fly those flights and flight crews, et cetera. So it's, a, it's actually, it's, I hate to say it, it's kind of a, it's a really good time. It's a time where you see people that are working together and they're coming together for this, this one cause and they've put away all their differences and and they're all working towards fighting this storm. And it doesn't matter what their background is, what their political aspects are. They just really want to help people. And that's the part I really like about it. If any of this has a silver lining, it's the fact that people come together during these really bad times. And I think that's awesome. And I, I wish I could see that more and more. Because it seems like um, on the media, all you hear about is different sides of the aisle in, in politics. But when this disasters happen, uh, there are no aisles. We're all, we're all on the same one which is kind of cool. But uh, anyway, so uh, hurricanes, they're, uh, they're gonna, we're going to have more and more of them. <laughs> and uh, I don't, don't mess around with them. If you have an airplane, get your aircraft out of there. And uh, like I've done in the past, you know, ask someone to move it for you. Ask a flight instructor, they need to build time. Uh, but it's, it's, really, it's really interesting to watch these. Uh, one of the things about, in general, in weather, and, and you know this, is the fact that there's no way you can predict exactly what the weather's going to be 24 hours in advance, you know, 10 days in advance, and even 12 hours. It's, it, you know, people get angry. Uh, and I saw a tweet the other day at uh, the people that do the weather forecasting and asked, you know, why do we have these people? Well, you know, we have these people because they actually are able to tell us that there's a hurricane coming, and they constantly are able to monitor that. And they keep a lot of people out of harm's way and are able to, you know, forego a lot of loss of life, uh, especially now that we have all this reporting and 24-hour news. It's it's actually a good thing. But anyway, Russ, I think I think that's uh, I think that's all we had on the hurricane. And uh, I know, you know, more and more people are going to come out with their stories, and we have a little bit to talk about uh, afterwards. But uh, on a on a very positive note. One of the really cool things that you got to do recently as far as flying was go out to this fly-in. Now, I've never actually been to an AOPA fly-in, but there's one coming to Tampa Bay, and there's also another one in Hartford where I, where I just was, which is uh, we're going to have another person that helped, Dave Abbey, who's a friend of the podcast, will be there, and he's going to actually report on how that went. Uh, so that's going to be kind of exciting to hear. So, Russ, tell me a little bit about, other than the fact that these fly-ins must be really, really cool, 
tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear and also you know what your experience was like when you were at this uh this show i think you likened it to some other type of show except on a smaller scale well that's right carl uh, and you know, I, I went, well, it was in Norman, Oklahoma, which is literally just down the road from where I live, 30 minute drives uh, through town. So of course I had to go. And what I saw was, was really kind of neat. It was, you know, if you've been to either Air Venture, Oshkosh or Sun and Fun or some of the other shows, uh, it was like that. It was, it had, you know, an you know, an exhibit hall, it had vendors, it had aircraft displays, they had seminars going on on, you know, how to use your GPS or, you know, weather or rusty pilots type stuff. They had all that kind of stuff. It was just on a much smaller scale than the big events. And I actually talked to several people and their first comment to me was, this is like a mini Oshkosh, (laughs) you know, and, and it was a lot of people can't make it to, to some of the bigger shows, they can't travel, you know, quite that far. I mean, you know, the obviously of Oshkosh and Son of Fun, Oshkosh is closer to Oklahoma, but it's still a pretty, pretty good trip to go there. Um, so for these AOPA fly-ins, they really brought that to us, kind of like like Oshkosh in a box or something. You know, here, here you go. <laughs> and I heard that comment a couple times too. So uh, it, it was neat. Plus, although they had some of the you know the regular vendors that you would expect to see at these big events. You know the the big national uh, uh, schools and um, you know uh, like bows and on, online and sales stuff. and stuff. They, they had some of the the bigger vendors. They also had a lot of local vendors. You know, I mean, people and the Oklahoma Pilots Association probably isn't going to rent out a booth at Oshkosh, <laughs> you know, but but here they did, uh, and so, some of the other you know local companies, local flight training organizations, uh, th- those kind of things that that you wouldn't see at a bigger show uh, just because of, you know, the costs and the, the nature of, of the show. So uh, it, it was, it was pretty exciting. It was, it was all free. They had a few uh, pay type workshops, I think on, on Friday. And then, you know, there was, there was a fee for food and such, but you know, nothing really unexpected. Uh, but, but all of it was free. There was, you know, no parking fee or anything like that. So there were, there were planes camping out on, on the airport, just like at the, at the other shows. So it, it was really a neat time. And of course I got to see a lot of people who I knew from, from town, of course, but also some people that I knew from the surrounding States. So it was a lot of fun. Um, I know there's, uh, yeah, there's one coming up in what's going to be, I guess, like two weeks after this podcast airs in Connecticut. Right. Right. So, Hartford. uh, that, that'll be the next one. And so if you're up in that area, um, definitely, definitely stop by and, and check it out. You can, I mean, why not? Right. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's an aviation event. Heck there was, there was somebody who flew from, um, New Hampshire to come to this one and, and someone who flew from Washington state and a guy who flew from San Diego. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. They, they had a prize for who could, uh, fly the, uh, the furthest, I guess, to, to get here. <laughs> and those were the three finalists, I guess you'd say that that's pretty long way. Yes, it is. So, uh, I, guess I wonder we should, if that guy from San Diego is going to go to the new, the uh, Connecticut one. Connecticut one. That would be a heck of a, a long trek. <laughs> Speaking of which, just to mention, that's October 6th and 7th. I guess we should say that. Uh, that and also, that's the one in, in Groton, Connecticut, actually. Groton, Connecticut is where that is. Uh, I said I said Hartford. It's actually Groton, October 6th through 7th. So don't, don't land in Hartford. Go to Groton, and the uh, I could see this now. People are going to show up. up there. No, I don't think they do that. But uh, then the other one's in Tampa, October twenty seventh and through twenty eighth, and yours truly will be at that one. So All come, right. come find me in the orange shirt, uh, October twenty seventh and twenty eighth. So uh, anyway, really neat events, and and I just I've seen so many videos and stuff from them. I so want to go. Uh, but uh, anyway, so you you actually were uh, you were just saying how there's all these vendors. The other cool thing is, and that was one of the things I thought was neat, is that you actually had some, like you said, some really big vendors out there, and you can learn some really cool stuff about new products and and the local stuff. I think it was awesome. Yeah, and I was able to talk to, and we're going to hear that in just just a few minutes here. Uh, some of the interviews I did from from this event, and I'll just kind of run through them. I I, I talked to the. Uh, to Mike Woods, who kind of who runs the 
he's like the volunteer coordinator for these events. <laughs> he was talking to me about, you know, how to become a volunteer, what they do, how many they need. And yes, they could still use some more forgotten. So if you're interested in, in marshalling airplanes or any of that kind of stuff, they definitely need that. I, I talked to for a few minutes with him, uh, talked to Don Makalinski from the sooner flight Academy, which is a local organization at the airport there at Norman that, provides year-round and summer programs for students, kind of age 6 to 18, fitting in with that STEM-type education uh, idea. I talked to the Oklahoma Pilots Association and Bill Halpane uh, about their their club and the meetings they do and the flyaways they do all around Oklahoma and surrounding states. And did you know you can get a seaplane rating in Oklahoma? No. Well, I you. It's not something you really think of with Oklahoma, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but, no, but you can, and it's it's in northeast uh, northeast Oklahoma on Grand Lake, uh, Grand Seaplanes. I talked to Steve Robinson there. I talked to a company called Airplanes, which many might be familiar with, planes as in the Great Plains of the U.S. Uh, Eric Poppin there. They do engine conversions, airframe modifications. We talked a little bit about the 300 horsepower Cessna 182 that I, man, I'd love to get a chance to fly that. That sounds incredible. Uh, I talked to Troy Wisman of Angel Flight South Central and the volunteer humanitarian flights and medical patients that they move around the country. And lastly, I talked to Ken Carson. He's the director of aviation at the University of Oklahoma's aviation department. I figured it's at their airport. I probably should should talk to them. So, <laughs> so we, we talked about their degree programs, which they have in aviation, uh, including piloting, air traffic control, and aviation management. And so a bunch of, of great interviews here. They're all in the like three to four minute range. So, uh, like we said before, if you're not interested in one, just skip ahead a couple minutes and you'll get another one. <laughs> so, uh, you'll find something you like, but, uh, it, it, it was a great time, Carl and highly recommended go out there. You know, it's spend half a day on a Saturday and, uh, and head on out to one of these things. Yes. And they're, they're a couple days long. They started doing that. I think one day, but they uh, they become multi-day events, and people have been flying in before they start and staying after. So they, you can almost say they were almost four days. Some of these events, but uh, yeah, that's right. They they have events on Friday. They have some some like all day type workshops. At least they did for this one, and I assume that'll be similar to the other ones. Uh, and people did start arriving, I believe, on Thursday, probably, and might not leave till Sunday. So that's <laughs> so cool. it's. Uh, yeah, it turns into a, a three or four day party. Awesome, awesome. Well, I guess we should we should actually start listening to some of these interviews and uh, and and have people, you know, really go through these and, and listen to what happened there. So, Russ, why don't we go ahead and queue up those and uh, and we'll talk a little bit about them uh, after that. So here, you know, folks, listen to these interviews, enjoy them, and uh, try to kind of think of yourself there. Pretend you're like you're there at the show, and uh, and I know you'll really, really enjoy some of the stuff that, that we're bringing you. So here we go. Let's go to the interview. Now entering cruise flight. This is Russ Rosluski from the Select Mike Avcatch reporting from the AOPA Fly-In at Norman. I'm here now with Mike Woods from AOPA. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. I'm good. Well, what do you do here, Mike? I am officially an aviation event planner, but I'm also the uh, volunteer coordinator for all of our regional fly-ins. The volunteer coordinator. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I know that this event probably wouldn't really be very successful without a bunch of volunteers. I see a lot of them walking around. What are these volunteers doing? Well, first of all, let me say it would not happen without our volunteers. Here in Norman, our goal is typically to get 300 volunteers and deploy them in a variety of ways from flight line to uh, show side logistics, uh, carrying water, taking tickets, various things. At Norman, we've had over 400 volunteers, so there's an incredible volunteer culture here in Oklahoma. Well, where exactly are all these volunteers come from? Are they local pilots? Are they just uh, non-pilots that are local to the area? Or are they coming from all around the place? Our first volunteer to arrive drove his RV 500 miles to get here. So they're literally from all over the country. We have a few volunteers. It's their goal to volunteer at each of our fly-ins. So that's Camarillo, here in Norman, Groton, Connecticut, and hopefully down in Tampa. Well, I understand that the Connecticut fly-in has just happened here in just a few weeks, is that right? That will be the first weekend in October. And I assume you're busy getting some volunteers for that. Uh, yeah. At, as we stand now, we're at almost 300 volunteers for the Connecticut fly-in, but we can always use more. Here's the thing. 
uh, the flight the flight line side of this thing is really the heavy volunteer uh, demand. Every shift needs forty to fifty volunteers. The flight line side. So what will that involve then? That involves marshalling the aircraft, receiving the aircraft as they come off the runway, and kind of determining where it is they need to go. If if they're an exhibitor, they're going to be directed one place. If they're just being, if they're going to aircraft camping, they're going to be sent to another location. If they're in Sellers Corral, still another one. So they're watching for where they need to go, and they they safely direct them to their destination. This is a Friday and Saturday event, so you need volunteers both days, I assume. Actually, our volunteers begin on Wednesday because we used to do just a one-day event, and we realized there's more value to be delivered to our members and to our, uh, you know, the regional folks who come in and support. So they actually come in on Wednesday, and we begin all of the logistical setup, uh, everywhere from the flags to, uh, well, everything that it takes to pull off an air show. Well, where could I go to get more information uh, about the future fly-ins and how I can volunteer at them? Simple, AOPA.org. All right. Well, that sounds pretty easy, Mike. Anything else you want to say about volunteering here? All I can say is we have some of the best volunteers in the world in the aviation business, and we just can't do it without them. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. Russ Rosleski for Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Russ Rosleski reporting for the Stuck Mike Avcast from the AOPA Fly-In in Norman, talking with Dawn Makalinski. And Dawn, you're here at a pretty special event, part of the event, aren't you? Yes, sir. This is the Sooner Flight Academy Kids Hangar. This is the airport festival here at Westheimer. We're combining it with the AOPA Fly-In, and we're just having a great time bringing hands-on activities to all the children that come to see all the airplanes. So you definitely have some kids' activities here at this event, but of course, unfortunately, this podcast is going to be aired after the event. However, the Sooner Flight Academy is not just this event, right? That's right. We're here year-round. We're uh, with the University of Oklahoma Outreach, and we uh, provide programming for children 6 to 18 during the summer. We have summer camps, and we have uh, school programs and field trips throughout the school year as well. So what is involved in these summer camps that you mentioned? Well, we teach children the physics of flight, but we do it with fun, hands-on activities. The children uh, that are eight and above receive airplane flights, and uh, as they age, they get a more sophisticated experience with uh, hands-on front seat time. We learn about rockets. We learn about kites. We learn about all the things that are uh, going to teach us about how things move, physics. So how long is this summer camp? The summer camps are um, non-residential, week-long, like a school week, but uh, up and at it and hands-on from 8.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. And Monday through Friday, we usually have two sessions of each age group. Uh, They have to be at least six years old by June 1. Our our age cutoffs are June 1 on each session. I think you mentioned activities that aren't just during the summer. They're all year-round, right? That's right. We do field trips for schools and homeschools and uh, Cub Scouts and Girl Scouts, any group of people that want to come out and have a really good time learning about science and physics in particular. Well, it sounds like a really neat opportunity for kids to learn about aviation, get involved, getting interested, uh, of course, in the whole STEM-type fields. Um, where can we go to get more information about this? Our website, flightcamp.ou.edu. That sounds pretty easy. Flightcamp.ou.edu. That's right. Great, Don. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is Russ Rosleski for the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting from the AOPA Fly-In in Norman, Oklahoma. For this interview, I'm actually sitting inside of an A36 Bonanza with Bill Halpain. How are you doing today, Bill? Very good. Thank you. Beautiful day in Norman, Oklahoma. It sure is. Uh, Right now, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Oklahoma Pilots Association with you. I understand you're a former president of the the OPA. Tell me, what exactly is this organization? OPA is an organization of pilots of all types. We take uh, student pilots through ATPs. We We enjoy our company. We welcome your spouse or significant other. The women are welcomed. We have a meeting each month, first Thursday of every month. We have a dinner, a buffet dinner, and uh, we have a aviation usually related program after the meeting, or after the dinner, excuse me. And uh, we try to vary the programs so that uh, 
the non-pilots will uh, enjoy it too. There's, some of them are just general interest, but basically aviation-oriented. Well, I see a list that you've got here. You have a little flyer at this event, and you've got some of the upcoming speakers, and, and some of them are, like you said, very you know, a little bit aviation-specific, but some of them are not. I mean, you've got astronaut Tom Stafford coming up, so hopefully next year. Yes, that's true. That's why we try to uh, vary it, uh, make it interesting to everybody. Uh, Tom is, of course, from Weatherford, Oklahoma, which is about 60 miles west of of Oklahoma City, and uh, he's been a supporter of aviation. There's a museum, and a very nice museum that in uh, Weatherford that he uh, is, I guess, maintains, or he's certainly been a big donor of it. Certainly right. I also see that you do uh, some monthly flyaway type events, and you've got some interesting locations kind of around, obviously around the Oklahoma area, but in some of the surrounding states as well. Tell us about those. Okay, we try to vary it. Uh, we have day flyaways, and we have overnight, and sometimes a weekend flyaway. It just kind of depends on the uh, membership uh, at the time. Some people just prefer to go out, and we call it the $100 hamburger uh, to the Mexican restaurant in Ponca City. It's about a 45-minute trip up there, and... Uh, very good food and just getting together and it gives pilots an uh, opportunity to keep current and uh, other times we do a night uh, maybe overnight uh, to uh, various uh, venues and sometime we went on one to liberal Kansas here a couple of years ago and it turned out to be an overnight unintended there's a line <laughs> of thunderstorms <laughs> went from Chicago to to Dallas uh, that we had to, we decided we better stay the night. <laughs> a little impromptu overnight party, definitely. We had a party and had a good time. Everybody checked in the motel and had my wife and I went to the local Target to buy a toothbrush. So. <laughs> now we carry a, a spare and an overnight <laughs> RON kit in the airplane. That's right. Everything's an adventure, certainly. Uh, well, it sounds like a pretty interesting club, pretty active. Uh, like I said, you have, you have uh, monthly meetings. Where can I go to get more information about the OPA? Well, of course, we have a website online uh, that has all the information of membership. And uh, we're, that's what we're doing here at uh, Norman today is making the pilot uh, and public more aware of, of uh, OPA and uh, promoting membership for it. We have a lot of out-of-state people that are obviously not very uh, prospective members, but we've also had several from the surrounding area that uh, we think would be prospective members. All right. Well, Bill, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. This is Russell's Lesky for the Stuck Mike Afcast. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast, reporting from the AOPA Fly-In at Norman, talking now with Steve Robinson from Grand Lake Seaplanes. Did I get that right, Steve? It's Grand Seaplanes. GrandSeaplanes.com. GrandSeaplanes.com. But you were located up at Grand Lake in Oklahoma, right? That's correct. Now, most people probably don't think of Oklahoma when they're thinking of seaplanes. Exactly. But you do run a pretty good operation up there, don't you? Well, I hope so, yeah. There's actually a lot of water in eastern Oklahoma, and a lot of, a lot of people are unaware of that. That's right. So I can get my seaplane rating in Oklahoma, and I live in Oklahoma City, so this is something that I've been wanting to do for years, just haven't quite made the time. Inspire me to make the time. Okay, so I think I'm the only guy in the state of Oklahoma that's teaching seaplane ratings. I'm up on Grand Lake in Oklahoma. It's an added rating to either your private or your commercial. Normally takes about six to eight hours for most uh, competent pilots, and usually two to three days, and it runs around $2,500, and it's the most fun you've ever had in an airplane. I believe that. It's, it really sounds like a floating around the lake, taking off, do, learning all the uh, the water operations. Take me through kind of a typical uh, syllabus. What kind of things are we going to learn? Okay, so the very first thing we're going to have to learn is uh, when uh, you taxi this airplane around, number one, it's not connected. The steering is not connected to the uh, nose wheel. It's what we call brakes, uh, brake steering by braking. Okay, so it's a little bit different than most general aviation airplanes. We spend about the first 15 or minutes or so teaching you how to uh, taxi it around. And then once it's in the air, it's just a regular airplane. So we spend most of our time on the water. We got to learn how to taxi it on the water. We got to learn how to turn it on the water. We got to learn to ramp it in and out of the water. We actually go up boat ramps with the gear down. 
okay? Or if you got a sandy beach, you can pull it up to the beach with the gear up and get out and, and go swimming or whatever you want to do, have a picnic. And uh, then it's, uh, it's takeoffs and landings on the water. This airplane is different because uh, it has retractable gear so you can land at any airport. But when you land it on the water, you got to make sure the wheels are up. So you land it, so there's no warning system at all on the gear. So you have to get it right every single time. It's gear up for water landing, gear down for land landing. Sure, a little bit different from, uh, well, right. from every other land airplane out there, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if I if I go up there, your, your Grand Lake, uh, well, what do I do? Do I camp out or how do I, what do I got to stay overnight somehow, right? How do I do okay, that? So we do several different things. Um, a lot of people like to come up and uh, rent a hotel room or something up there. My wife actually does a uh, bed and breakfast program at our house just for our students who can come in and if they don't have any local accommodations or they don't want to go into a hotel, my wife will give you a private room at our house and feed you for $95 a night. So you can come up Friday at noon, stay at our house, get your seaplane rating, get some of the best food you've ever had. She actually gets better reviews for her food than I get for my flying. Well, how about that? <laughs> well, it sounds like an all-inclusive weekend, it certainly, yeah. Now, now, does does it have to be a weekend, or do you do no, it during it a week? it doesn't have to be a weekend. That's usually the best time to get the examiner. Uh, I have to get the examiner out of uh, Wichita, and uh, we have to book him several weeks in advance. It's hard to do on short notice, so we usually try to book him several weeks in advance, and then you uh, come down and get your rating. I actually have him booked about six different Sundays between now and the end of October. Is that Larry Lay's doing it? It is Larry Lay. Yeah, I've flown with him before. Real, real, real fantastic guy. Oh, he's yeah, a great guy. Great guy. He's been doing that for us for ten years. Well, this is something that, I, like I said, I definitely want to do. I'm going to have to get on the calendar sometime yeah. and do this. Uh, anything else you want to tell us just about flying seaplanes and what it's like? Flying seaplanes, especially this airplane, is just the most fun you've ever had. Any information you want, you can find out at GrandSeaplanes.com. GrandSeaplanes.com. I'll definitely be going there this afternoon and check you guys out. Thanks right. a lot, Steve. I appreciate it. Russell Zleski for Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Russell Zleski from Stuck Mike Avcast reporting from the AOPA Fly in Norman, Oklahoma. Talking now with Eric Pappen of Airplanes. And Airplanes is spelled P-L-A-I-N-S. Why, Eric? Well, airplanes, as in the uh, plains of Kansas, you know, work on airplanes, and that's what we do. We work on airplanes. We do... Uh, normal maintenance on any model of uh, Cessna, Piper, Beechcraft, but uh, what we're known for is putting big engines in small airplanes. Well, I see that. The airplane you have right here is uh, Cessna 182, very common airplane, but you've done a little bit of an engine, a little bit of engine work on it. Right. So what we do is we take off the factory two-bladed propeller and put on a three-bladed propeller. Uh, we remove the factory 0470 engine, which is 230 horsepower, and in this case, we installed a factory new Continental IO 550, which is rated for 300 horsepower continuous. Now, I've got quite a bit of time in normal 230 horsepower 182, and it performs pretty well. I'm very happy with it. I can't imagine what 300 horsepower has got to do on this airplane. Right. So typically in a stock 182, you're looking at maybe a thousand feet per minute on a good day climb rate, you know, from, from sea level up. This airplane will do 18, 1900 feet, feet per minute, wow. uh, from, from takeoff, you know, and that's almost fully loaded. Um, I would say this one has a gross weight of 3,100 pounds. Um, so you're hauling a lot of stuff, a lot of people, a lot of fuel in this case. It has uh, auxiliary fuel tanks and the wingtips also. So, you know, you take a plane, a stock 182 would fly about 130 to 135 knots. This one will push 160 to 163 knots. True. That is a big change, and it's certainly a lot of time saving on a, a long flight. Uh, what are we looking at for? A, a, I guess a conversion cost for the engine. Uh, you also have some other modifications to the airplane, I understand. Right. So when you take the 0470 off, um, what you're looking at is the engine and the propeller come off. The engine itself, the factory new IO550, this isn't an engine that we modify. This is an engine you buy direct from the factory. There's no changes that have been done to this engine. It is a factory new engine. And so, and, and also, so is, the, so is the prop. It's a factory new prop from Hartzell. This isn't a overhaul propeller, it's factory new. All the engine hoses, firewall forward, uh, engine mount is modified, painted black, and magnafluxed. The engine baffles are bead blasted, painted black, brand new baffle seals, uh, has a new throttle control and new mixture control. So what you're looking at with our installation cost, brand new engine, brand new prop, turnkeys about 80,000. 
Okay, what about some of the other modifications you have on this airplane? Did you do those as well? This one, yes, we did do uh, some other modifications. There is a uh, knots to use speed kit on the nose wheel fairing and both main fairings. Uh, micro vortex generators on the uh, leading edge, the bottom of the tail, and you can see them on the side of the um, vertical tail also. Um, as far as the only speed mods are concerned, it would be the nose fairing, main fairings, and a flap gap and aileron gap seals. So you're basically covering up, you know, the the parts that are sticking out of the plane or there's gaps to make the airflow smoothly over across the wing, make it a little bit faster. I would say this one picked up maybe three to five knots by doing those modifications. I think definitely with the uh, more horsepower on the engine and the vortex generators and other uh, modifications you mentioned, it probably takes off a heck of a lot quicker too. Yes, it does. Um, you are probably looking at, you know, normally on a regular 0470, I, I don't like to give out this many feet, this many feet takeout roll, you know, takeoff roll sure. uh, because of density altitude, loading, those sort of things. Um, normally, you push the throttle in on a stock, on a stock 182, you're sitting there about eight to 10 seconds, waiting, 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 waiting. This one, you're going to, you're going to be pushed to go four to five seconds and you're off the ground. So it, it's, it's really just a beast. It really sounds like it. I'd love to get a chance to fly it someday. Where are you guys located? Uh, we're just south of Wichita in a little town called Wellington. It's about uh, 20 miles straight south of the main airport in Wichita, straight south. And where can I go to to get more information on airplanes and your conversions and modifications? That is on airplanes.com. That's spelled A-I-R-P-L-A-I-N-S, and that is airplanes.com. You can give us a call at 620-326-8904. All right. Well, thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate your time. This is Russell Zleski for the Stuck Mike Gavcast. This is Russell Zleski from the Stuck Mike Gavcast reporting from the AOPA Fly-In at Norman, standing here at the Angel Flight South Central booth with Troy Wisman. Hi, Troy. How are you doing, Russ? I'm great. Now, we've met each other a few times before, and I just happened to run across you walking the, through the exhibit hangar here. But tell us a little bit about why you're here for Angel Flight. Uh, well, we brought several of our wing leaders up here to talk to people about how they can do charitable flying to help other people. What, what kind of charitable flying are we talking about? So Angel Flight is an organization where pilots can help people who have uh, generally medical needs, but often other, times, other types of humanitarian needs as well get where they need to go for the kind of care they need. So, for example, one of the most common missions that we fly are people that are undergoing long-term chemotherapy treatment. And instead of driving from, you know, uh, way out west Texas down to Houston to MD Anderson or from Norman, Oklahoma, where we are today, to Tulsa, which is where two of the big cancer treatment centers are, pilots can help them get there quickly for their treatment and get home quickly. I think a lot of people's view of this type of transportation would involve some pretty high-end aircraft jets and stuff flying people around. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, we certainly do have some pilots that have jets, but that's a small uh, small handful of those pilots. Most of our pilots actually fly your typical 172s, 182s, archers, those kinds of airplanes. Most of our missions are one or two passengers. Sometimes it's a passenger and their companion well within the weight limit of our normal general aviation aircraft. And to help make that happen at the office when we define missions, we actually break missions into shorter legs that are generally about an hour and a half flying time for a GA aircraft. And we list the weight of the passengers that are going. So a pilot, when he looks or she looks at the list of missions that are available, can really clearly define ones that fit their aircraft's load profile. So I assume you're always looking for more pilots. It sounds like you've got a lot of missions. Um, how would I go about signing up for this uh, program? Go to angelflightsc, which stands for southcentral.org, O-R-G. And on the top banner, there's a section there for pilots. The first link in there is how to become a pilot. We look for pilots that have 250 hours of PIC, and they're private. You don't need your instrument rating, at least not in our region. We serve the five-state region of Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, and New Mexico. Uh, but you sign up there, you take uh, uh, an online multimedia charitable flying course from AOPA, send us a copy of your liability insurance, and that's all re that's required to become a pilot and start giving back. What if I'm not a pilot? Is there any other roles that I could play? Absolutely. We're always looking for ground angels. Ground angels, all you need is a driver's license and insurance. So when we land at an airport, 
the passengers still need to get from that local airport to wherever they're going for care. And we don't provide that transportation as part of our service, but we do connect people with, with their options. Sometimes that's a ground angel in their uh, destination airport. Sometimes people use Uber or friends that they have that are living there or a taxi. But yeah, ground transportation is a great way to help. Well, it sounds like a really valuable program. How long have you been doing this for? Do you have any idea how many missions you've flown? Oh, I've been doing this for about 17 years for Angel Flight South Central, and I've probably flown about 60 missions. That's pretty good. I'm sure all those people appreciate it very much. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, Russ, you get more back from the passengers you fly than you do yourself. You know, and if you've got your pilot's license, you're looking for a way to expand your uh, realm of experience, going flying places you've never flown to before. Um, and uh, using your airplane and your skills for more than just getting a $100 hamburger, it's a great organization to be a part of. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, a lot of people, after they get their private pilot's license, don't really know what to do. They've flown to all the local uh, you know, hamburger joints, like I said, and looking for something else to do, and this is certainly a great way to, to help out others in need. Well, thank you very much, Troy. Give me that website one more time. You bet. www.angelflightsc.org. All right, thanks a lot. This is Russ Rosleski for the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Russ Rosleski reporting for a Stuck Mike Avcast from the AOPA Flying in Norman, Oklahoma. Sitting here now, this is nice, in the air-conditioned building with... Ken Carson, Director of Aviation, the University of Oklahoma. Great. So we have a, uh, some OU airplanes out here, and you do have quite a, a busy flight training operation at OU. Oh, yeah. We've um, actually had flight training at the university for 75 years. We're in our 76th year. It's one of the reasons why uh, we invited AOPA to come into our annual open house this year is to celebrate our next 75 years, celebrate aviation. And um, um, we do the open house every year, mainly to expose kids, uh, kindergarten through, through 12, 12th grade, to aviation careers. So as you mentioned, you do the Aviation Open House every year, and of course today at the Flying is kind of a special event, but the OU Aviation Program uh, is, is a whole, it's a whole college curriculum. Tell us a little bit about that, what, what, we'll get, what you get you know, starting off as a freshman and, and working your way through the program. Well, again, it's just a fantastic program. There's, there's outstanding uh, flight programs all across the, the nation. Uh, we're happy to be uh, an ABBE, which is Aviation Accreditation Board International Accredited uh, University Program, which we, we think is very important. It's a four-year degree program. We have uh, concentrations in professional pilot, air traffic controllers, and also aviation management non-flying. There's just outstanding jobs out there for, for men and women to get into aviation from flying to, again, controlling or managing uh, in, in the great big world of business aviation to general aviation uh, or the airlines. I think what a lot of our listeners might like to hear about is the, the opportunities and how, how the, uh, the flight training program kind of progresses. Sure. Uh, flight training program is very standard. It's an FAA Part 141 flight school program and again you can start with no hours or many students show up with a private pilot already uh, it it you can transfer in your private pilot credit and then we run all the way through commercial instrument uh, multi-engine flight instructor if you want it you don't the flight instructor is an elective you don't have to do flight instructor um, and uh, we also have a King Air tran tra transition course also for the pro for the professional pilot program. That sounds like a definitely a useful add-on to get some of that turbine experience there. You bet. Um, it, it's really uh, a good. The, the the students love it, and the regional airlines like that also before they come into the to their um, to the airline. You mentioned you also have an air traffic control training program. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, air traffic control training, we it's part of FAA ATCTI, which stands for Air Traffic Controller Training Initiative. There's information on the FAA website about it. There's several institutions across the nation that have the program. And, again, it's an, it's an outstanding uh, program for men and women to to get a four-year, in some cases, some schools are two-year college degree, simultaneously being prepared to uh, take the test to become an air traffic controller. 
And the last thing I think you mentioned was the uh, the management non-flying part of aviation. Mm-hmm. Yep, aviation management non-flying. Uh, University of Oklahoma, we have a great business college, and uh, most of the courses are in management, communications, leadership, finance, uh, and basically you get a, a Bachelor of Science degree with a business minor, and um, it really sets you up well for Again, uh, initial entry jobs into a whole plethora of aviation industry uh, um, jobs which are out there. Well, great, Ken. Where can I go to find more information about a lot of your programs? Sure. You just Google OU Aviation, and our website will pop up, or or the University of Oklahoma Aviation, and um, information is there readily available for you. All right, Ken, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. This is Russ Rosleski for Destruct Mike Avcast. Wow, Russ, that was awesome. Those are some great interviews. I really appreciate your doing that. Sounds like you had a lot of fun. And like we said before, yes, you can get your seaplane rating in Oklahoma. I never would have thought about that. Uh, But there's some really cool stuff happening over there at the University of Oklahoma at their airport uh, there in in Oklahoma. And one of the things that I, I really love about these interviews is you could tell the passion of in aviation uh, coming out of all of them and what they've been doing there. So yeah, every, everybody stuff. was real excited, and you know, I n- nobody turned me down for an interview request, so that, <laughs> so that's good. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it was it was a lot of fun. Of course, the weather was perfect, which definitely helped the attendance. I mean, it was I think around eighty degrees uh, for a high that day, so light wind. It was beautiful. Well, gosh, we're going to have to do more of these. I mean, just just from the, I'd love to hear your feedback about this show. Go to our Facebook page, comment on this, and let us know what you think about these interview shows. I think this is awesome because by my not being able to make it to this event and Oshkosh or whatever, it actually makes me feel like I was there after I listened to some of your interviews. And there's some really cool pictures and all online that we can look at. So anyway, hats off to you doing that, Russ, and I know we're going to see a lot more of these in the future, uh, especially now with our new our new studio. We're looking at doing some more videos and also some more of these fly-ins and, uh, and that type of thing. Again, uh, the whole meetups, we're going to postpone that for a little bit until uh, we get uh, recovered from this whole hurricane. Well, gosh, thanks, uh, Russ. And also, oh, by the way, uh, we it's only the two of us, but we do have some cool picks of the week. Uh, I know I'll go first. Uh, one of the picks of the week that I have, and this has to, it, it's more from a kind of an aviation weather geeky kind of way, and that's uh, our local Tampa Bay, baynews9.com, their website, baynews9.com, the number nine. And one of the things I really like about them is these folks are really into weather. They have so many meteorologists there, and they're very passionate about what they do. And what's really cool is they actually do a lot of reporting at the airports, etc. I'd love to see more segments on aviation, and I'm actually going to prod them about that. Uh, just talk a little bit about aviation weather, maybe even just once a week. Uh, but the weather affects all of us. It affects pilots in a very, very interesting way. And I don't know about you, Russ, but uh, and people make fun of us. We a pilot sitting in front of the TV watching the Weather Channel for hours. <laughs> you know? I, I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't either. It's just that people think we're weird when we do that. I still don't understand why, but it's it is fascinating. It's incredible to watch some of these storms and understand that you know we have those people there watching that, and the reporting has gotten so much better. The measuring, the satellites, everything is 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 incredible. We're light years ahead of where we were before, and uh, you know we used to sit there fat, dumb, and happy and realize, hey. Maybe there's some weather coming in that's too late to get ready for them. So that was pretty cool. So baynews9.com, a big shout-out to them, by the way. They also have online streaming, and they made it free for everybody. Usually it's part of their service with Spectrum uh, TV, and they made it free to everybody so they can keep up on things. I'm in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico right now, and I'm watching my local Bay News 9 station, and I'm listening to those folks, and I'm list, watching uh, what's happening in my town, and I'm watching the storm go through and uh, just looking out for my family, etc. And I feel like I'm actually there even though I'm over a 1,000 miles away. So uh, it, it's just some great reporting uh, and some wonderful people and great meteorologists there at Bay News 9. So that's my pick of the week. Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, this is just a great 
general aviation, helping out the community type of story. Uh, this was in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, which, of course, is only, what, a week and a half ago, right? Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. So what happened was, and I obviously don't know the whole story, but I'll do my best, uh, is a just a few local pilots in the Texas area who were outside of the uh, the storm area decided, you know, we've got airplanes. There are people down here in Houston that need stuff. They need basic supplies. I mean, this is a really bad situation. They need diapers. They need, they need, they need water. They need medications. They need, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. Right. So they said, we've got airplanes, we can move stuff in. And they started this, this organization called operation airdrop. And really just as I've seen it grow through Facebook, it's grown from just a few pilots and, and it just, in just a matter of a few days, they, they moved, let's see, they had two, over 200 pilots involved, 160 aircraft. They moved 250,000 pounds of cargo in less than 10 days. Um, and all the stuff that was donated and, and provided to them and bought and whatever, they were able to move it into Houston, uh, working with, uh, you know, local aid agencies and I, you know, I assume, you know, first responder type folks and getting it to the people who need it. It was just a really fantastic story because there were places down there in Houston that, that are, that will not be recovered for a long time. But even just, just a few days ago that had no power, no water, nowhere to get anything, no way to get anything into there really other than general aviation, the roads were clogged, you know, flooded, et cetera. So this is just a real great success story. And the best thing that I can see here is, this is a, a quote from their Facebook page. Um, as of, this is as of, I guess, yesterday, Operation Airdrop has shifted a strategic focus to help our friends in the path of Hurricane Irma. So this started out as a kind of a Texas-centric effort with help from the surrounding states, of course. But now they're applying everything they've, they've learned and working with, uh, with pilots over there in the Florida area and getting ready, uh, getting all spooled up to help out you folks out there. So th this is really a great story. I love it. Um, it's Operation Airdrop. You can go on Facebook and search for the group there. They have a website also, uh, operation-airdrop.com. And it, so if you're anywhere in the area uh, and are able to help out, go check that out, see what you can offer this podcast is going to come out on the 15th of September. So certainly there will still be lots of folks needing help in Florida at that time. I tell you, I am very impressed with this organization and their website and what they've done so far. Uh, I think it's incredible. And uh, again, this goes back to what I was saying. It's just amazing. And that's the one, you know, silver lining to this whole storm is watching people actually come together and they've truly done that. And I really hats off to them. I hope they raise a lot of money. Uh, for their organization, they already have, and uh, I'd like to see them move forward and, and keep doing what they're doing. It's just so cool when you get people doing something like that, that and, and selfishly, uh, uh, selflessly, excuse me, uh, moving forward and, and helping people uh, get out of harm's way and bringing them supplies afterwards. Really cool stuff. Uh, but that, that was a great pick of the week. Uh, I, I like that one a lot for us. And uh, a big, we're, we're definitely going to support them as much as we can here. Um, also, another thing, by the way, uh, a video of the week. We haven't talked about those every so often and, uh, as much as I'd like to. But uh, the one that we have this week is actually uh, from Fun Places to Fly. They put a little video together. It doesn't have any interviews or anything, but it has uh, some music and some pictures of actually uh, Norman, Oklahoma, where, where Russ was during the fly-in. So go check that out. It was uh, kind of cool to actually see in action what we're talking about in words here. Uh, and uh, it's just a couple-minute video there. But, uh, Russ, man, I tell you this, uh, I really am enjoying uh, having more of us go out there to these shows and, and enjoying meeting people. And you did a, a great job on these interviews. Uh, and I hopefully we'll, we'll definitely see more of those and see some of the other air shows out there. Not sure if you're going to make it to Groton, Connecticut. That might be a little far, but if you if you yeah, need that, that's a bit of a haul. I don't think I'll make it out. <laughs> but if you want, come down to Tampa Bay. You got a place to stay. Sure, so that that would be really cool. Now that we've kind of relocated there, not far from the next one. We're only 40 minutes away from that. Uh, so really, I tell you, one of the things that's neat about all this is I just love people in general aviation. 
you know, it's one of these common bonds that ties us all together, people from all these different backgrounds. And you saw that when you were there in Norman, uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, mechanics, uh, you know, air conditioning guys and plumbers and teachers and people from all walks of life coming together because they love aviation and love uh, this, this thing that we do uh, either on the weekends or on our off time. And I really, really think it's a community that's incredibly passionate uh, in what they do because they have to sacrifice so much because, you know, it's it's not easy just to get your license. I mean, there's a lot of effort involved. There's a lot of financial effort. And that's what I one of the things I love about this community is they looked at something they want to do. They went out and they did it and they got the financials behind it and they took the time and became pilots. And then they took that and did something good with it, which you see with these folks, especially with the folks at Operation Airdrop. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening. Uh, we have uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please give us feedback on our Facebook page. Like I said, we're going to start trying to post more on there. All the episodes, by the way, are out there, so if you follow us on Facebook, you'll get notified as to when the new episodes come back out. And, of course, you can sign up for a newsletter, etc., and follow us on Twitter. Well, folks, stay flying. We'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.